This won't end well for Illinois. Here's a three. He ended well. McCourt for the win. In the air. It is up. And it is good. Fourth and 16. Pressure comes. And Matt Orbebe with the ball in the air. Makes the catch. Welcome to Oski Talk. I'm Drew Pastoric. So what do you want to talk about, Illinois fans? <laughs> oh my god. That Purdue game was a thing that happened. Lots to talk about regarding that Purdue game. This could be a very long podcast or a very short one. I don't really know yet. We'll just kind of figure it out as we go along. Uh, plenty to digest from Saturday's loss in West Lafayette. Illinois now 2-3 and three overall, 0-2 oh in the Big Ten. Where do the Illini go from here? That's kind of the prevailing question, and I don't think we're going to have an answer. Maybe after Friday we'll know, so I'll try to summarize my thoughts on the Purdue game as best as possible leading in to the Nebraska matchup on Friday. Yeah, that was uh, a brutal experience. An experience that I got to remove myself from prematurely. I will <laughs> I'll, I'll get into that as part of my cheers and jeers. But it was not all bad. There was some good things to come out of the past week in fighting Alana Athletics. Certainly want to highlight those as well. And it was media day for Illinois men's basketball. Brad Underwood had a lot to say about his squad Break that down as well. Before any of that, though, Oski Talk is sponsored by Liddyville LLC. You can get officially licensed Fighting Illini merchandise, and you can also support current Illinois athletes as well as alumni organizations. There is a player-slash-alumni line that you can look at at liddyville.com. You can support multiple teams, multiple athletic programs within the University of Illinois. And again, it's all officially licensed. Go to Liddyville.com and place your order today. L-I-T-T-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. Wanted to lead off the show today by reviewing the week that was in Fighting Illini Athletics. Just take a whip around the non-revenue sports, the Olympic sports, some of the other Illini athletes in action throughout the past seven days. Let's start with men's and women's cross country. They competed this weekend at the Gans Creek Classic in Columbia, Missouri. The men were very impressive, winning the event with a total of uh, 46 points. Jack Roberts finished first in the men's 8K 23 minutes, 48.8 seconds. Three other Illini finished in the top 15. Alex Partlow, Brady Masters, each in the top 10. And Nicholas Davilovsky finished 12th overall. And again, the Illini men took home first place in that event. On the women's side, Hallie Hill finished 6th in the 6K run. A personal best time of 20 minutes, 48.8 seconds. Shifting to volleyball, Chris Thomas's squad split a pair of games this weekend. First, they were swept by number 15 Penn State at Huff Hall on Friday. But the Fighting Illini responded with a sweep of the Iowa Hawkeyes on Saturday. Illinois hit 284 as a team, registered 47 total kills. Raina Terry led Illinois with 19 kills and a 348 hitting percentage. Defensively, Illinois with 49 digs, 41 assists in the sweep of the Hawkeyes. Brooke Mosier recorded her seventh double double with 36 assists and 10 digs. And kudos to the Illini fans as well at Huff Hall. More than 4,500 fans 
for those two games. 24-42, the announced crowd for the Penn State matchup, and 21-09 Saturday against Iowa. So Illinois improving to 7-7 this year, 2-2 in Big Ten play. Illinois now 70-14 all-time against Iowa. And head coach Chris Thomas 11-0 versus the Hawkeyes in his tenure. Illinois visiting Purdue Wednesday afternoon. I believe that's a 5 o'clock match. And that'll be on FS1 if you want to check it out. And finally, Illini soccer hit the road this week. They earned a point in a scoreless draw against Northwestern Thursday evening. Went to Columbus and challenged Ohio State Sunday afternoon, falling by a 2-1 to margin. Buckeyes scored early. Got a couple of tallies in the 18th and 30th minute to take a 2-0 lead into halftime. Leah Howard scored for Illinois in the 83rd minute to cut Ohio State's lead in half. The Illini, however, unable to complete the comeback. So, did earn a point, like I said. Now 5-4-3 and three on the season. Illini 1-2-2 two, two in Big Ten action. And they will continue their road swing. They'll be in Minnesota next Sunday afternoon. That match will be broadcast on BTN. Okay, so I alluded to this at the start of the episode. The Cheers and Jeers segment could be very short. It could be very, very long. I'm not really sure yet. (laughs) I mean, let's just start with the basics. Illinois getting clobbered 44-19 at Purdue Saturday afternoon. Early on, it looked like it was going to be what I expected. I mentioned this last week that opportunities were going to be there. Purdue's defense had not been very productive throughout the season. Given up a lot of points. Had given up a lot of third down conversions. Opportunities were there. And Illinois had a really nice opening drive. And Luke Altmeyer. Missed a wide open Henry Boyer for a touchdown. Like nobody within 10 yards. And he airmails it. Illinois does get three. They got a field goal to take the early lead. But that planted the seed of doubt early on. And then Purdue gets a touchdown. Johnny Newton blocks the extra point, so it's Purdue 6, Illinois 3. So the first half went kind of according to plan, at least what I expected. It was going to be a somewhat competitive game. The Vegas line was essentially even money. Purdue might have been like a one-point, one-and-a-half-point favorite. That's a pick'em game. Not really leaning strongly in either direction. And that's how the first half played out. Second half, Illinois just imploded. And I didn't want to be at this point this early in the season. You know, we've tried to give benefit of the doubt to Brett Bielema and his coaching staff, you know, saying, just give them time. They've shown glimpses. They've shown flashes. Let's let them figure this shit out. And they just have not been able to string things together. They look unorganized. I'll get to more of that in more detail in just a minute. So let's start with the cheers from Saturday. We're going to start with Isaiah Williams. Prior to Saturday, Isaiah Williams was named a semifinalist for the Campbell Trophy, the William V. Campbell Trophy. It's awarded to a college football player that best represents on-field achievements, academic success, and community service sort of known as like the academic Heisman. Our own Ethan Holesha at the Champagne Room posted an article about this and you couldn't really come up with a better candidate on Illinois' side than Isaiah Williams. He embodies what you want a student-athlete to be. He's a leader on the field as well as off the field. 
does well in the classroom, serves the community well. So he's a great choice for that award. As far as the on-field stuff, wide receiver relationship is very important, obviously. And they've got a good relationship. Luke Altmyer knows to find Isaiah Williams as often as possible. There wasn't always the scheming, the game planning that got us there, but Isaiah Williams has has really played well lately. He's still yet to find the end zone, which is frustrating, but through five games, he's got 30 catches, 446 yards, so he's getting more of those chunk plays. That's something that I've talked about. We need to see... Isaiah Williams snap off those big chunk plays, and he's done more of that. I think he had 100 yards last week, had 99 against Penn State, so essentially three straight 100-yard games for I Will. He gets a cheer. He's going to lay everything out there. He's going to do his damnedest to make sure Illinois is in position to score points and try to win games. So cheers all the way around for Isaiah Williams. You can read more about the Campbell Trophy nod Again, our, our Ethan Halesha put that together at thechampagneroom.com. Got to give a cheer as well to Caleb Griffin. 53-yard kick. He stuck that field goal to conclude the first half. That made it 16-13 Purdue at halftime. We saw Illinois do what a lot of teams try to do, and that's do the little quick hitter thing, get out of bounds, get a few extra yards. Allmeyer found Hank Beatty for like a three- or four-yard pickup preserving one or two seconds left on the clock for Griffin to attempt a field goal. And again, it's a 53-yarder. It's not a an automatic kick by any stretch. And Caleb Griffin was able to split the uprights, get Illinois on the board towards the end of the half. That was certainly one of the highlights of the first half. So Caleb Griffin getting a cheer. He's been beleaguered, I think is a good word, but that was certainly a positive from Caleb Griffin, hitting that deep kick 53 yards again to end the first half. Another cheer going out to Caden Fagan. Our own Kyle Towsk at the Champagne Room put his stars of the game together, sort of like a hockey lineup. He goes through you know, his top five studs of each game, and Caden Fagan was on his list as well. 11 carries, 85 yards. That's 7.1 yards per attempt. That will work. You can certainly sustain success with that kind of attack. By far the best game of his young career. He's shown flashes of that potential, being six foot three, 250. Just a unique combination of burst and power and speed. With Reggie Love not playing, he missed time, missed the game due to injury. Caden Fagan assumed that role as like the lead back. Josh McCray got carries earlier in the game, but Caden Fagan was more of the go-to guy late. He's a hard guy to bring down. I said this last week. He's basically a tight end that you're using as a running back. He's bigger than a lot of quarterbacks in the Big Ten or nationally. He's bigger than a lot of tight ends, and he's certainly bigger than a lot of running backs. And Josh McCray is a big dude. Josh McCray is... 6'1 and like 235, 240, and Caden Fagan dwarfs him. I mean, he is just a physical freak when you see him up close. It'd be like if you made Gabe Ackes a running back. That's the, the build. So if Illinois can get the offense on track, you're going to see a lot more of Caden Fagan. Absolutely. Gets a cheer from me. I'll give a cheer to a couple of guys on defense. You got to send love to the law firm. Keith Randolph, Johnny Newton didn't have, you know, those huge stat lines that we've come to expect from them. Johnny Newton with three tackles. He did get knocked out of the game with an injury, but blocked a Purdue extra point. That's his second blocked kick of the season. Keith Randolph had three tackles, had a half sack in the game. And I'll give Denzel Daxon some love, too. He had a blocked punt as well. So two blocked kicks for Illinois. Defensive line responsible for both of them. And Dylan Rosiek as well. I think out of the defensive players not named Newton, Randolph, or Daxon, he, he played the best. 
He forced a fumble in the first half. Had seven tackles, I believe, in the game. That was one of his better games. The linebacking core mostly has been rough for the Illini this year. Dylan Rosiak had a nice game on Saturday as well. But a jeer would go to pretty much everything else on Saturday afternoon. The defense was terrible just in general. I called out a couple of guys a few seconds ago, but for the most part, the defense was horrendous on Saturday. The coaching, the officiating, the offensive line, the offensive identity. It's like a broken record. Things we've talked about at length on this show. Getting smoked by Ryan Walters, the Peacock broadcasters. (laughs) It was just a nightmare, specifically in the second half. But holy shit, man, that was the worst game Illinois played in a long time. Even that Virginia game from two seasons ago, that game was over and done with pretty quick. The damage was done in the first quarter. Virginia piled on a little bit, but I'm hard-pressed to think of a game recently where Illinois was this bad on both ends. 63 nothing maybe the Iowa game from 2018 maybe that maybe the uh the Graham Mertz game in 2020 when Wisconsin just blistered Illinois 45 to 7 but those are the only two that I'm coming up with that even resemble this this was if not the worst game Illinois played in the last three or four years certainly the most deflating to me because this is a game Illinois on paper, was in position to win. Talked about last week how the Big Ten West was still very winnable. Maybe it still is, but it's like the Cubs' playoff chances. (laughs) September 6th, the Cubs had a 92% chance of making the playoffs. And then they go 6-20 the final month-ish of the season and get eliminated from contention. So went from a 92% chance on September 6th to being eliminated by September 30th. It's kind of how I feel with Illinois football right now. Been trying to build them up and say, look, we've seen things that indicate this might be getting better. It looks like they're figuring stuff out. And then they give us a nice big old shit burger to eat on Saturday. And I'm struggling now. I'm struggling. I don't know what to expect now. Could they still make a bowl? Could they find a way to salvage, scrape together four more wins? Maybe. As I said, it's still the Big Ten West. And you still got to play Indiana. So maybe. But I think we are a far cry from where we were even a couple weeks ago. Even after the Penn State loss, we were like, hey, it was a bad game. You dump it. You burn the tape. Luke Altmaier was wretched. He had four interceptions. Defense played well. Offense couldn't hang, couldn't keep up. But there was a lot to like about that performance. And this was just a flat-out failure on Saturday. Nothing you can really say otherwise. Uh, I will give a uh, a bonus cheer. I mentioned Peacock. I had to leave. I couldn't. Uh, I, I had a uh, another engagement. So I didn't get to see the end of the game. My mom doesn't have a smart TV, so she doesn't have Peacock. And I was like, hey, I didn't get to see the last two or three minutes of the third quarter and didn't get to see any of the fourth quarter. So that's a cheer. <laughs> That gets a cheer. My mom doesn't have Peacock, so I didn't have to watch the rest of that shit show. Yeah, I was DJing a high school dance in Geneseo, Illinois. Shout out to the Maple Leafs. So listening to mumble rap for three hours (laughs) was more enjoyable than whatever the hell that game was on Saturday. So I guess that's a cheer. I don't know. That's about it. That's about it for the cheers and jeers. 
couple of individuals to highlight the rest of it. Just kill it with fire. <laughs> but I'll be back for cheers and jeers for Nebraska. Again, Illinois playing the Cornhuskers on Friday on FS1. Before I talk more about Nebraska, Oski Talk is sponsored by Liddyville LLC. Liddyville is a clothing and accessories retailer dedicated to inspiring customers through a unique combination of product, creativity, and cultural understanding. They have a player-slash-alumni line at liddyville.com where all purchases benefit either current University of Illinois athletes or alumni organizations and charities. You can follow them on Twitter or X at Liddyville Gear. You can also place your order and get your officially licensed Illinois merchandise today. Drew Pastoric with you on Oski Talk. So just a few more things wrapping up with Purdue before I discuss the Cornhuskers. A lot of great pieces at the ChampagneRoom.com. I'll start with the the quick takeaways from Plez Honeywood. And again, you can read the, the entirety of it at the Champagne Room, but I'll, I'll summarize it as best I can here. Plez essentially saying that Luke Altmaier is talented, but mysterious. Obviously, the talent is there. He can make deep throws, but he's left a lot of opportunities on the table. Luke Altmaier is still the number one QB, whether you think that's good or bad. What little we've seen of John Paddock tells me that Luke Altmaier is still the guy. Number two is that the O-line is a major problem. The offensive line has been offensive. Lack of protection, just getting bullied and pushed around. This was supposed to be a strength. Brett Bielema has staked his reputation as a coach on being physical and tough and smart. And the offensive line has not exhibited any of those thus far, but it was painfully obvious against Purdue. The obvious example for me isn't even the Luke Altmaier fumble. It's the fourth and one play. Illinois is going for it. It's fourth and one. They line up with Caden Fagan in the shotgun, which don't even get me started, but they go for it on fourth and one. And there's two Purdue defenders that meets Caden Fagan like in the backfield. Like, not even one second. It's like at the snap, boom, they're there, ready to stop it. This offensive line that was supposed to be impenetrable with two future NFL guys, Zy Chrysler and Isaiah Adams, has just been a mess. Plez also talks about, he asked the question, how does this team recover? What was viewed as a winnable game by many of us, not just at the Champagne Room, but people that cover the Illini, turned into what Plez referred to as a prison beating. And it was that. Illinois just got flogged completely. It was embarrassing. And you don't see a lot of games like that from Brett Bielema coach teams. And speaking of Brett Bielema, another takeaway from Plez is that he got outcoached by his protege, Ryan Walters. Ryan Walters had a season and a quarter. The last part of 2021 and then all of 2022. He goes to Purdue and he just looks, I mean, he's looking like Coach Prime <laughs> compared to Brett Bielema. Like, he just looks cool and swagged out and Illinois is just like the same old generic stuff. Brett Bielema got put in the spin cycle by Ryan Walters on Saturday. Kevin Kane, the man who perhaps should have been the defensive coordinator at Illinois, completely outcoached his counterpart, Aaron Henry. I, I, it's hard to even describe it. But those were a couple of Plez's takeaways. I encourage you to read that article in full at thechampagneroom.com. And the same for... Brant Dolce. Brant Dolce, very frank, very honest in his Sunday column, saying that we may have been wrong about the Illini this whole time. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard for people that cover the sport 
cover sports in general. It's hard to admit when you're wrong. When you make a prediction and you try to stand by it, you want to have some conviction, it's hard to be like, yeah, this is not at all what we thought was going to happen. It's not just Brant, though. Many of us misevaluated this team. Is misevaluated a word? I think it is. Evaluated this team incorrectly, overvalued this team, this roster. Maybe that's the better way to say it. And Brant went so far as to say he's been more wrong about this team than any other Illini team in the entirety of his fandom. And Brant, Brant and I are of a similar age. He's a few years older. He's 40. So you're talking 35 years or so of actively following the Illinois Fighting Illini. And his evaluation was more incorrect than any team he's watched or followed during his life. And I, I, I can't really disagree with that. I mean, I was, I was projecting an 8-4 and four team. And I was comfortable with that. I was not comfortable with, you know, the 10 and 11 win projections that people were giving Illinois. I'm like, I'm drinking the Kuwait a little bit. I'm sipping it. I'm not guzzling it. I'm sipping it. Eight seemed fair based on what we'd seen last year. Yes, there was attrition in the secondary. Yes, we lost Chase Brown. Yes, we lost Tommy DeVito. But there was room for optimism. Maybe that was our first mistake. (laughs) And we should know better because we're older people. Brant and I and Plez and uh, a lot of the uh, older generation of Illinois fans should probably have known better. Like, why are we expecting anything else from this team? This is the norm. What we saw last year maybe wasn't. And Brant goes into detail here. Illinois has played three Power 5 opponents, Kansas, Penn State, Purdue, and has trailed by at least 17 points in each of those games, and by at least 24 in two of them. So far in Big Ten play, Illinois has been outscored 74 to 32. 74 to 32. I mentioned a little bit earlier, and I alluded to this last week on the show also, Purdue had allowed... 54%, something like that, 53, 54% on third down conversions. Opportunities were going to be there. Illinois goes two for 13. And I believe at one spot in the game, at one point they were 0 for 10, 0 for 9. You can't be competitive doing that. But the offense is the least of my concern and the least of Brant's concern. I'm going to attribute this to him. He went through and made made the list. He gave the rundown of where Illinois stands on defense. They are tied for last in interceptions. This is among Big Ten teams. Illinois tied for last in interceptions with three. Tied for 11th in sacks with seven. Illinois is last in, thir- uh, in first downs allowed per game. 24. 24 first downs allowed per game. Purdue had 26 on Saturday. And the Illini are 13th in third down conversions allowed. 48.7%. I know you lost a lot of playmakers in the secondary. But this is beyond that. And it's a fundamental wholesale change. And I don't know where to go from that I, I don't know I don't know what you do Brett Bielema is not going anywhere you can question whether or not that should be the case Brett Bielema is not going anywhere his job is safe for now it's still only year three and you had a seven win season uh, sorry an eight win season and a bowl berth the year before Brett Bielema's job is safe but the O-line coach the defensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator. And if you're a Chicago Bears fan like me and you watch that goddamn Denver Broncos come back from down 28 to 7, now that, that you can change overnight. Before they were in the locker room, the GM, the president, Kevin Warren, whoever, should have been pulling the plug on that shit. Said, Matt Eberflus, you're gone. 
Luke Getze, you're gone. Justin Fields has been talking about, oh my God, Justin Fields is terrible. He's awful. No, the Bears, the franchise, screwed him up. And he finally has one of the best games of his career. And it goes completely to waste. Just gets blown to smithereens because of stupid coaching. You want to blow that thing up? In week four, week five, be my guest. I will help open the door for them. Not expecting that in Champagne, at least not yet. But I think you're going to have serious conversations. I think you have to. If you are concerned, if you're Josh Women and you're concerned about the overall health and status of your program, you have to have that conversation. Something is rotten in Denmark. So lots of things to take away from the loss to Purdue. Most of them are not ideal. <laughs> so Plez and Brant have some good stuff at the champagneroom.com. Kyle, I mentioned him earlier. He's got a, a really nice wrap-up at the champagne room as well. When you lose a game like that, it's hard. It's hard to crank out content and not just be gutted. What do we talk about? Well, let's talk about how terrible everything is. Like, we don't want to write about that stuff, but you can't ignore it either. All right, so now we can move on to Nebraska. Hang on. Ooh. Hey, give me credit. I went this long without having to crack a beverage, so. All right, so both teams come in 2-3. and three. Both teams come in 0-2 in, in the Big Ten. So somewhat of a similar trajectory. Matt Rule in year one at Nebraska taking over for Scott Frost. It's been kind of a mixed bag. Nebraska does have something that Illinois does not, and that is an identity. Nebraska really loves to run the football, and they also love to stop the run. They thrive on that. So the Huskers rush for 209 yards per game. About 5.5 yards per carry. Mind you, this was including last week. Nebraska lost 45-7 to Michigan. They were averaging about 235 on the ground versus everybody else. And then they played Michigan and and got kind of snuffed out. But still 209 yards per game. Pretty good. 5.5 yards per carry. Pretty good. And on defense, before the Michigan game... Nebraska was allowing just 46 yards per game and less than two yards per carry, 1.8. Michigan kind of trampled them on the ground. Michigan ran for 250 against them. But even with that number, it's still very impressive. 86.8 yards per carry, or sorry, 86.8 yards per game and 2.86 yards per carry. So it's still really difficult to run the ball against them. That being said, I still think that's the best approach Illinois needs to take. Mentioned Caden Fagan. Mentioned Josh McCray earlier. You got two big-bodied backs, both of whom are more of a straight-ahead, downhill style of runner, but Fagan's got more athletic ability. He's got more burst than McCray. If Reggie Love is healthy, you might see him, you know, in that spot again. But it's certainly going to be a challenge. We know Illinois wants to run the football. They've tried to open up the passing game more. Nebraska's pass game is mediocre on both sides. 238.8 yards per game allowed through the air. They throw for only about 139 yards per game. So as I said, Nebraska's identity under Matt Rule year one is very clear. We want to run the ball, be physical up front, and stop the run on defense. I don't expect this to be a 44-19 game or even games in the past with Nebraska and Illinois where it's been you know, 42-38, 51-35, that kind of stuff. I would expect a similar game to what Nebraska had against Minnesota in the opener. Gophers won 13 to 10. I would expect something more like that. 
a 20 to 17, 16 13 kind of game. Illinois' passing game is a little more advanced. They're a little more further along. The running game has been inconsistent. Nebraska doesn't throw very well. This could be a get right game for the secondary. Harburg, the quarterback, doesn't throw as much. He can run. So the the assignment's clear. Plez and I have talked about this before. Understand the plot. The plot for Nebraska is we want to run the ball. That's our best strategy. That's our best plan to win the game. If Illinois can stop the run, not allow those big plays on the ground, they have a chance to be successful. Illini have won three straight in the series. Had a blowout win 26-9 in Lincoln a year ago. Illinois is installed as a three-point favorite as of this episode. So part of me is saying, how bad is Nebraska? Well, their two wins were against Louisiana Tech and Northern Illinois. So they beat (laughs) a Conference USA team and a MAC team. Illinois beats a former Conference USA team, now an American Athletic Conference team, and a MAC team. So like I said at the top of the segment, the trajectories have been very similar. Both teams 0-2 in the Big Ten. Both teams 2-3 overall. Both teams thirsting for a win to get their seasons on track. Nebraska's defense has played pretty well this season. Illinois' has not. I think Illinois' offense has been better. But they struggled against a more porous Purdue defense. So it's hard to read. It's hard to gauge what this team is actually going to do. I think Illinois is built to play better against a team like Nebraska. For all the stuff that I talked about before that was negative, saying Illinois has not met their level of expectations that we gave to them. This goes back to something Jay Lehman said on BTN a couple weeks ago, that Illinois was not built for shootouts. This is more up Brett Bielema's alley, and Nebraska's a team that doesn't score a lot of points. If this was Maryland, which we'll talk about that next week, if this was Maryland, Maryland's going to be a 20-point favorite probably at home against Illinois. I don't want to think about that right now. I'm going to look ahead to Friday and just worry on Friday. I'm just going to worry about that. Focus on Friday. This is a game that Illinois can win. These are the teams Illinois can beat. So Vegas thinks Illinois is minus three. I will lean in that direction for now. This type of game is in their DNA. They can still Swing the pendulum back to their favor with a win against Nebraska. It's at home. It's a primetime game. And then you go back to Peacock for Maryland. (laughs) You might have four or five more games on Peacock uh, based on the performance on Saturday. But all joking aside, I'll reiterate, I would expect, you know, 17-10, 17-13, something in that range. I'd be surprised if this was a, even like a 28-24 game. That would very much surprise me. I think first team to 20 would win this game. This might be the best chance Illinois has to win a game in a while. So let's embrace it. Let's try to stay positive for at least one more week before abandoning all hope completely. (laughs) (laughs) But it's up to them. It's up to our boys in orange and blue to make that decision for us. Play well. Get a win. Get back to 500. Maybe you could salvage a bowl game out of this whole deal. If they lose to Nebraska, then go to Maryland 2-4. and Woo! I'll say it again. As of right now, I am predicting Illinois to win. You heard it here first. You can attribute this prediction to me. Illinois is going to win. Let's manifest it. 
All right, Oski Talk is sponsored by Liddyville LLC. Liddyville is a clothing and accessories retailer dedicating to inspiring customers through a unique combination of product, creativity, and cultural understanding. All the apparel is officially licensed. You can follow them at Liddyville Gear. And you can place an order right now at Liddyville.com. It's L-I-T-T-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. And we... Okay, so talked a lot about football. Just want to cleanse myself of that. We could use a good palate cleanser. So let's discuss basketball. It was Men's Basketball Media Day on Friday. Brad Underwood addressing the media for the first time since the the Spain trip. And he did not waste any time heaping praise upon his team. Now, again, it's media day. It's the first address of the season. You're not going to say you hate your team. My team is terrible. You might say there's things we want to work on or there's still things to improve on, but you're never going to say bad things about your team <laughs> when you go to media day. You're, everyone's zero and zero, right? You're always going to give a glistening review of the offseason. Oh, we played great. We practiced great. Blah, 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 blah. So I just want to put that out there to start with. Just preface it with that. But Brad Underwood did applaud his team, saying that they are much more physical than they have been. A lot of players have been working on improving their bodies. Dane Danger was a guy that was mentioned specifically. He's down to like 260 now. I think when he came to Illinois, he was about 290. Played around 275 or so last year. So he's still physically strong. He's still a very large person at six foot nine. But you know, 260, your mobility is just going to be better the less weight you're carrying. So happy to hear that. Also mentioned Marcus Damask and his body transformation under Fletch, Adam Fletcher, the strength and conditioning coach. Brad Underwood mentioned Marcus Damask had sort of a power forwards body, like a center body almost. And he's worked on trimming that down. He's about 218, 219, somewhere in that ballpark. And it's a much leaner body type. Fits more of of his position than he was playing at before. Brad Underwood said he loves the bench. He loves the depth. In his words, 1 through 11. So he's very complimentary of that. That was an issue we saw last year is that we thought we were going to have a lot of depth during the season. And it turned out that, you know, there were maybe three or four guys you could lean on. But if there was foul trouble or injury, the Illini were very thin. So glad to hear that. He loves what the freshmen have been doing. Specifically pointed out Nico Moretti, who played a lot overseas on that Spain trip. Kind of forgot he was a freshman because he was on the roster last year, but was redshirted. So you have Moretti, you've got Amani Hansberry, Dre Gibbs Lawhorn. So loves the depth that those freshmen provide as well. And naturally, Brad Underwood was also asked about the long-range shooting. The marksmanship of the Illini was called into question quite a bit last year by myself and a lot of other folks that follow the team. It was like, you're shooting 35, 36 threes a game and making six of them. And it just was a pattern that repeated and repeated and repeated. And, you know, the Illini were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country. So naturally, you're going to take 36 of them a game because you can't hit any of them. So that was brought up on Friday as well. Brad Underwood said he thought something like 42% of the team's shots were from the three last year. And that was problematic. He said that this roster is different in terms of the style of play. We'll keep that in mind. We'll, we'll, we'll put a pin in that. We'll dog ear that for the next time they take 33s a game. We'll remember what he said about that. Uh, he made a football comparison though, which I thought was interesting. He said he'd had a conversation with Brett Bielema and likened it to 
throwing an interception on first or second down. He was referencing shooting those contested threes with 17 seconds left, 18 seconds left on the clock, just rushing up a shot because, hey, it's a three. It counts for more points. Wee! Like, you don't want to do that. It doesn't serve you well. So he made that comparison of it's like throwing an INT on first or second down. It, it neutralizes any impact your offense may have. Nothing good happens when you do that. And the last thing I wanted to point out was Coach Underwood called this the toughest schedule they've ever had. And that was problematic last year. Yes, you had UCLA and Texas. You had those games. Uh, Virginia as well. Missouri. But their home schedule was really bad. They didn't have any real strong non-conference home game specifically, but Brad Underwood mentioned that uh, they might have had one quad one game last year, and they lost that game. This year, they could have as many as 20. And some of that's you know dependent on how teams fare. I mean, the, the quadrant thing, I, I still don't really care for that metric all that much. I feel like it, it fluctuates quite a bit. You know, a, a game that might have been a quad one game in November or December is a quad three game by February because the team loses you know, 10 games or something like that. So it, it's not a perfect system. It goes a long way towards tournament seedings and evaluations and stuff like that. I mean, it's not a, a bad metric. I just think it's a little flawed. But nonetheless, we've talked about the schedule at length. The non-conference, you look at Illinois playing Marquette and Colgate, Florida Atlantic, Tennessee, Missouri. There's a lot of really tough games on this schedule. I think it's going to help, ultimately, if Illinois gets to play in March, which I firmly believe that they will. That would be a travesty if they don't get to the tournament. But games like that go a long way. Look at what Michigan State's done for years and years and years and years and years and years. They'll go out and play anybody, anytime, anyplace. Like, they always play, like, Kentucky and Carolina and Duke and Kansas. Like, they will go and play anybody to make them tougher, to get them ready for the postseason. So I think Illinois doing that is helpful. Yes, they're going to have some cakewalk teams. They're going to have some games that they're going to win very easily, mostly in the non-conference. You need those two. But I felt like at times the team was ill-equipped to face tougher teams. They got out-muscled quite a bit. Other coaches seemed to figure them out pretty easily. Some of that was the shooting. Some of that was the poor free-throw shooting. So Brad Underwood said, especially the non-conference games will be very challenging and very beneficial. Those are his exact words. Very challenging and very beneficial. Really good stuff. It was like a 30, 35-minute press conference. I'm not going to give you the cliff notes of every single thing that was said. You can go to fightingillini.com if you want to catch the entire presser from Men's Basketball Media Day on Friday. But man, I'm telling you what. I am... I'm tasting blood. (laughs) I am bloodthirsty now, especially the way football has shaken out. I didn't want to talk about football anymore, but we're 35 days away until the regular season. Eastern Illinois coming to Champaign. I need a 40 to 50 point win like I need oxygen right now. (laughs) I got to watch the Illini football team and the stupid, stinky, smelly bears. The Cubs just blew a chance to make the playoffs. I need something good. The teams I follow should not be giving me this much stress. (laughs) So, man, I am smelling blood. I want Illinois to just go out and thrash EIU. And it's only 18 days from the exhibition game versus Ottawa. You might see a 50 or 60 point game in that one. That's a an NAIA team that went 12 and 17 last year. So, 
Whoo, that game, it's an exhibition game. So it doesn't really matter, but that could be that could be like a 110 to 50 kind of game. It could be. And even though it's a preseason game, an exhibition game, it doesn't count. I need that. I need that like a junkie needs heroin. Like, I am just, I need to get my fix of hoops. I didn't want to be looking forward to basketball season this early in the football season. I thought we might have been past that after what we saw last year on the gridiron, but clearly not. So I need some buckets. I need some W's. I need Brad Underwood's team to just not fuck around. Do what a power conference team is supposed to do. Just mop the floor with them, win by 40, 50, whatever. If it's like 25, I'll be fine with that too. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? Just easy breezy, no drama, no stress. Please, at least until, like, you know, the Marquette game. That's okay. But Ottawa, EIU, Oakland, let's just cast them aside like a power conference team ought to do. Okay? Thanks. (laughs) And with that, I'll say farewell for this week on Oski Talk. If you like what you hear, go to thechampagneroom.com. You can listen to previous episodes of the show. You can also subscribe to Oski Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow the Champagne Room on socials as well. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Tons of great stuff for you. And hopefully, we'll be talking about Illinois getting back to 500, getting their first Big Ten win. And then we can talk about the Maryland Terrapins and their... 900 yard per game offense. <laughs> Woohoo! Can't wait for that. Talk to you is that. I'm Drew Pastoric. ILL. <laughs>